We gather for worship as we bring our scattered thoughts and lives and loyalties into the sacred space. We are grateful for the gifts of faith and community given by God. In thanksgiving, we name and claim the gifts of our church, spiritual relationships celebrated through robust ritual that honors the common ground of God's inclusive love revealed to us in Jesus Christ. We also own the shadows within our lives because these haunt our joys and diminish our hopes. We silently confess our sins. Sisters and brothers, God knows us and loves us. God has forgiven us. We give thanks. Let us lift our voices reverently. Welcome to the worship of God on this beautiful Sunday. It is good to be together as God's people, and Allison, thank you for calling us to worship through our litany. Uh, It is a uh, rainy day, and it is a spring-forward Sunday. And so the question is, how did so many of you show up? Fred Craddock says that, remember when you're preaching, that at least half the people almost didn't come. It may be 60% today, so I admire you you being here. Uh, If you're a guest here today, especially do we welcome you, there is on the edge of your order of worship a welcome card. If you'd complete that, drop it in the offering plate, it'll help me connect name and face with you. And also for anyone who has a prayer request, Feel free to place that on that card, drop it in the offering plate, and it's an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for you by name and by need each week. Well, this Sunday has a name. It's called Latare Sunday. It's the fourth Sunday in Lent. It's the day we stand on our tiptoes and look forward, and we say we can see Easter from here. We're almost there. We're getting there. And so it means, oh, rejoice. We rejoice in being uh, present to God and one another. I wrote a few things I want to uh, share with you on this day. Since this is sort of a weepy day, I suggest that we welcome that. Welcome it as a Sabbath gift. Because for many of us, it's been a weepy week of grief, has it not? We had two large funerals, one on Wednesday and then one yesterday. 
and these were families very integral to our church, and we come to this with our place, with our hearts uh, that are heavy. As is often the case, the duties of death are often done by the women. You, many of you here, made sure that the families had the fellowship hall set up just right, both for the reception on Wednesday, again on Saturday, and here you are today. And on behalf of a proud and grateful congregation, thank you for that. I suggest that we receive this Sabbath rainy day like steeping, that we steep ourselves in this place, in this space, and in God's grace, to let the grace of God hold us, including our faith and our songs and the scriptures we're about to hear, some which sound strange, others which sound familiar. Let us open our hearts and our ears as we hear. Welcome. While the Israelites wander in the wilderness, they grumble. A reading from the book of Numbers. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole. And whenever a serpent bit someone, the per- that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. Here ends the first lesson. Let us pray. We come to you, God, on this fourth Sunday of Lent with praise, adoration, and gratefulness. This week we have experienced a vast range of weather giving us the chance to enjoy time in your creation in the much-needed rain and sunshine. We have delighted in each other's fellowship and in recent new life in our church, and we continue to seek you with discipline in our Lenten journey. For these things, we thank you and we praise you for your endless grace and mercy. But we also come before you today with hearts filled with grief and sadness. We know that many in our country are enduring harsh winter weather with no end in sight. And we also know that our own church family has lost beloved members this week, John Bell and Gordon Davis. These trials can make the Lenten season especially difficult. We ask for your mercy in caring for our brothers and sisters enduring the nor'eastern storms. And we ask for your love to envelop the families of John Bell and Gordon Davis as they grieve the loss of their loved ones and for your strength to give us the courage to complete our Lenten journey to the cross. Lord, you are the Almighty, the helper of the helpless. We know that you are capable of even greater things, and yet you choose to love and nurture us and all the world, your creation. 
We strive to not take this for granted. We know that every day you call us to care for the widow, the orphan, the least of these. We pledge to answer this call, to seek mercy, and to act justly. We dedicate our lives to you and to the life that your son Jesus exemplified on earth. And we come to you now in prayer as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying boldly, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We are made alive in Christ, and this is a gift from God. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses. And we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Here ends the second lesson. Girls and boys, you can join us at the front. And Pastor Daniel will take your offering. I'm so glad that you are all here on this rainy Sunday morning. So I brought with me a bear, and I also brought a hug. What do you, what do you, if you put those together, what do you get? Bear hug. A bear hug. What is a bear hug? It's a hug from a bear. It could be a hug from a bear. It could also be a really, really, really big 
big hug. Have, have you ever been given a big, big hug? Yes. Yeah. What does a hug represent? Where does a hug come from? Your heart. Your heart. Could that represent love? Yes. Yes, that's right. It can. How do you show someone that you love them? How do you show love and kindness? Sharing your toys with them. Sharing your toys. Yeah. Yeah. How can you do that, Van? Maybe you encourage them? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we can encourage. We can be nice to them on the playground. We can share things with them. In the Bible, it talks a lot about how God shows us love. God shows us a lot of love, doesn't God? Yeah. God loves us through giving us friends to care for us, through our moms and dads, through churches. Those are ways that God shows us love. God always takes care of us. So how can we show God our love and our thanks? How can we do that? Praying, yes, that's a good way. How else? Maybe we can sing. Singing is a good way to show our thanks to God. The Bible talks about how people used to shout joy, shout out joy, and sing praises to God to show their thanks for God's love. We can also dance. Who likes to dance? I like to dance too, and we can give God thanks by dancing and praying and maybe even journaling or creating art. Who likes to paint and create things? Those are also ways that we can show God thanks and give God thanks for loving us so well. All right, this week, let's practice that. Let's practice giving God thanks by singing and dancing and praying and creating art, and playing soccer, and all of these things, okay? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for loving us so well. We love you so much, too. Help us this week to give you thanks. In your name we pray. Amen.
Let us stand for the gospel lesson. The gospel writer uses the story of Moses to echo the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. A reading from the gospel according to John. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe in him are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The Gospel of the Lord. The opening liturgy for funerals at Northside Drive contains the words of John 3.16 that you just heard. And it hit me yesterday at Gordon Davis's funeral that the words of grace contained in that verse can seep into your bones over a lifetime. For God so loved the world. Before you were even born, that was true. When you die, it's still true. And it will be true after you die. What grace-filled words to hear at a funeral. And who knows, you know, things happen at funerals. You, you might get saved at a funeral. You know, I, I got saved at a funeral one time. I was 30 years old. And I didn't plan on getting saved. I just showed up to show my respects to the family, and I, I got saved. Surprise gift. And as the passage from Ephesians teaches us, salvation is a gift, pure and simple, and it'll sneak up on you. But early on, the church decided that it would deny the gift of salvation to certain people. It started making a list. Who's getting in and who is barred from entry? And the gospel of salvation for the whole world became a gospel of condemnation for most. And so the church which arose out of Judaism turned its wrath on Jews. And the church which held the council of Jerusalem and decided that Gentiles would be let in would later turn its wrath on Muslims. Because we humans are very imaginative when it comes to to preaching condemnation. Many of you got saved when you were younger, and you spent a lot of time recovering from the wound of being saved. The story goes like this, and it could be your story. If you don't get saved, the preacher said, you'll spend an eternity in hell. And then the preacher would paint an image of hell so graphic that it would put to shame the images 
of the medieval painter Hieronymus Bosch. So a lot of folks got PTSD, post-traumatic salvation disorder. (laughs) Folks who heard that, they're always worried, did I really get saved? Am I really going to heaven? And it turns out that the image of God they'd been given was an image of God who came in order to condemn and not to save. And it turns out you needed to get saved from all that saving that happened to you when you were a little kid. I heard the story recently of a man who needed saved from being saving. He was born in the South. He attended an evangelical rally in 1973. He heard hellfire, damnation. He came forward during the song. He got saved, he said. Later that year, he opened the newspaper. He read a column from that same preacher who had saved him that night, answering a question from a young woman. And she was asking how she could reconcile her love of other women with what the Bible says about homosexuality. And the preacher in the column said, Let me say this loud and clear. You will be judged by God's holy standards. Your spiritual welfare is in danger. She was asking... God made me this way. Is that good enough for God? She she was asking the preacher, am I on the list? And the preacher said, you're not on the list. And that young man who read that column, he felt sick to his stomach because he was a gay man. He needed to be saved from being saved. He'd been given an image of God who came into the world to condemn not to save. And what does it mean to be saved? In the gospel reading, Jesus tells us that he came not to condemn, but to save the whole world. And as Steve Sheely helped remind me this week in his Lenten devotion, the word used in Greek is cosmos. Jesus came to save the whole cosmos. God didn't come to blow up the planet like those left-behind movies and books suggest. I mean, have you read the Bible? God pronounced creation good. But a lot of people are preaching it as condemned. So they poison our rivers and streams with pollution. They call global warming a hoax. They cut down the forests. Because if the earth is condemned, it's not worth saving. But God said... The earth is worth saving because God saves. Do you believe that? John 3.16 is on billboards across the country. Football players put it on black tape under their eyes. And in some circles, it's a magical incantation you utter in order to get saved. But, But getting saved is not a formula Because each of us, I bet we could go around the room and each of us would have our own story of what it meant to be saved. One time a rich ruler came to Jesus and said, What do I need to do in order to inherit eternal life? And I think it was one of those people who would say, I'm a Bible believer. And he may have had a King James Version under his arm and Jesus said, well, what does the Bible say you're carrying there? Follow the commandments. Don't commit adultery. 
don't murder. And the man said, yeah, yeah, I've done all that since I was young. And Jesus said, well, you're lacking one thing. You know that big tower that's got your name on it? Yeah, that's mine. You know all those assets you own and tax shelters and corporate shells and LLCs? Yeah. He said, sell every bit of that and give it to the poor. And the Bible tells us that the man went away sad. He was sad. Because he had gone to Jesus asking for cheap grace. And Jesus had responded with costly discipleship. There was this one thing keeping him from relationship with God. And and, and for him, it was all the stuff he owned. And I don't know what happened to that man. It'd be nice to know. Maybe that man was saved that day. Or maybe it took weeks or months or years, but Jesus had planted a seed in that man's life. And I figured out that getting saved, it sometimes takes a while. Because I I was saved when I turned 11. I rose to my feet after the gospel sermon had been preached in a tent revival. I got saved. And I got saved again when I was 16. I took a girl home after a movie. She lived way out in the country. I broke curfew trying to get home. And on the way home, I flipped my 1987 Park Avenue Buick while I was trying to rewind Nirvana's Smell Like Teen Spirit on the tape cassette player. And I didn't have a scratch on me. I got saved. And I got saved again at that funeral. You already heard that story. And I've gotten saved a lot more. And I bet you've been saved a few times, too. And we shouldn't be surprised. It's not one moment in time, because the Bible talks about salvation in all three tenses. You were saved. You are being saved. You will be saved. And we should not be surprised because it is within God's power to save in any way God chooses. God can save you at 2.30 in the afternoon. He can save you in the bathtub. He can save you as you lie dying in the hospital room. He can save you at a funeral. Do you believe that God saves? When we reduce salvation to a formula, to John 3.16, stripped of its context... To one decision in time. You know what we're doing? We are attempting to put God in a box. It arises out of our idolatry of control and manipulation. But God will not be put in a box. Jesus saved people all the time who didn't follow the formula. Jesus was on the cross and there were two criminals crucified next to him, one on his right, one on his left, and one of the men taunted Jesus. He said, oh, you're the Messiah. Save yourself and save us. And that other criminal said, he said, we're condemned. Don't you get it? We're condemned. We're getting what we deserve. So be quiet. But this man, And he pointed at Jesus. He's done nothing wrong. That could have been me or you up there, unable to experience grace, under a sentence of condemnation. But you already heard it. Jesus didn't come to condemn. 
And the criminal said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he didn't make the man accept into his heart or say the formula or walk down the aisle. He said, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. God can save anyone, anywhere, anytime. And we resist God's power to save in so many ways. You know the biggest way we resist God's power to save? It's in our love of making lists. Lists of people who are getting saved. You got a list? I've got a list. No, I think everybody's got a list who's getting saved. I imagine white supremacists have a list. Maybe it's just white people who think like them and and denominations have a list. It's maybe those who sign the faith and message on the dotted line and Maybe progressives have a list. It's people who shop at Whole Foods, whatever. (laughs) We could just look at each other's lists, and it would tell us a lot about the person making the list, but it wouldn't tell us anything about God. And you know, some people get their lists from the Bible. Oh, yeah, there's lists in the Bible. For centuries, it was biblical law as set forth in Deuteronomy that eunuchs should not enter the assembly of the Lord. Foreigners to the nation of Israel, like the Ammonites and the Moabites, cannot enter the assembly of the Lord. Sorry, they're not on the list. I I wish it wasn't so, but it's in the Bible. But I have discovered something about the Bible. Have you? It tells an unfolding narrative of grace, a trajectory of grace. Radical grace. The folks who were cut off from membership in Israel, well, big change was coming. Some time had to go by, and so the prophet Isaiah, God says to the eunuch, I will give them a name that will not be cut off. And to the foreigner, I will bring them to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. The list is always being revised by the activity of the Holy Spirit. And in this country, for a long time, there were plenty of people who held up the Bible and said to slaves and freed blacks, sorry, you're not on the list. And in Baptist churches across the land, women are not permitted to be deacons or pastors or preach. And in churches around the world, gays and lesbians and transgendered persons are barred from communion. From communion. Membership, baptism, fellowship... And no doubt there will be some other people group that finds out in a few years that they're not on the list. When Jesus died on Good Friday, all was darkness and despair. His friends and family had abandoned him. There wasn't a soul in Israel, I think, who thought Jesus was on the list. Just another victim of the Roman Empire. Condemnation seemed to have won. But on Easter morning, God raised Jesus from the dead. And God gathered up all of our lists. All the lists humans had made, and he tore them up. And he said, y'all stop worrying about who's getting in. Jesus tells us he came to the world not to condemn but in order that the whole cosmos might be saved through him. So I imagine when we get to heaven, we might be surprised at who we see there. I imagine we'll see the ones 
we love so much during this life. You'll see Gordon and John. Parents who lost their children will get reunited. I heard somebody say once that maybe those babies will come running up to their parents and sit on their knee and call them by name. I believe that. I can get on board with that. You don't need to twist my arm. But if we don't get to control who God invites into relationship with him, then I think a whole lot of people are going to be shocked and maybe even disappointed for just a little bit. When they get to heaven, we'll be sitting down at the banquet table of God. We'll turn to our neighbor and we'll say, pass the mashed potatoes, because of course there are mashed potatoes in heaven. And our neighbor will turn to us and it will be our enemy in life. That person who hurt us so deeply, who twisted the knife in us, with whom we cut off communication, he'll be there. And we'll turn to the other neighbor and we'll say, can you believe they let this guy in? And, and it'll be that person next to us who had different politics than we had. We thought, surely they're not let that person in. Well, there they are. They're invited to. And when I'm at the banquet table of God and I see all the people I never expected to see, I imagine I might say to Jesus, Jesus, what are all these people doing here? I mean, check the list. There must be a mistake here. Are, are you sure all these folks are supposed to be here? And he'll say, don't you remember? I came not in order to condemn, but in order to save the whole cosmos. And all of God's people at the banquet table, all of God's people here said, Amen. It is our tradition that whenever a word is said, an invitation to dedication is given. And when we sing, we respond to how God might be calling us and leading us and inviting us. The hymn that we're going to be singing is an old gospel song, Softly and Tenderly Jesus is Calling. And Daniel, if I understood you right, we're not to amend the refrain and say softly and tenderly Jesus is calling only those who are on the list. So 
So the list is bigger than our list. Jesus is calling all. Let us stand together and sing. each time we gather, we have an opportunity to share our concerns and celebrations, and I bring you a few of those this morning. Several of us gathered in the sanctuary last Thursday as Jordan Clark led a tour of our stained glass windows, now that we're part of the Phoenix Flies Atlanta Preservation Society tour. 
And that was a real treat because each time I hear a story about the windows, I see something that I haven't seen before. So many thanks to Jordan. If you missed it, you want to come back March 20th. He'll be doing it again. Reminder that the nominations are still open. There's an insert inside the bulletin from the nominating committee and sign-up sheets in the narthex as you leave. A note from our children's ministry, uh, looking forward to Easter. We'll have an Easter egg hunt, and each year we gather Easter eggs, so we ask the congregation to bring in lots of Easter eggs filled with candy, and the only instruction I have is please no nuts for the allergies. So no nuts, but bring in the eggs filled with candy, and there's a bin in the narthex. Our Lenten service on Thursday evening at 645 in the chapel will be on the discipline of confession. The confessional booth will be open. I think I heard somebody laugh way back there. We have prayer concerns, as you know. It's been a week of great grief and heaviness for the church. We continue to pray for Janet Bell and her family for the death of her husband, John. For Billy Davis and her family for the death of her husband, Gordon. We keep them close in prayer. Our prayers are with all those who may be facing something uncertain this week. We lift you up in prayer. And let's end on a celebration. Celebration of birth. West Eleanor Blaisdell, born on March 7th. Parents Allison and Andrew, grandparents Bruce and Sylvia, great-grandfather Wilton Looney. Congratulations to you. We rejoice in the birth of this child. Hallelujah. Amen. We continue our worship with the giving of our tithes and offerings through the singing of God so loved the world.
All-loving God, we open our hearts to you. And you've seen that our hearts have been heavy with grief, so much so that the oil in our Paschal candle nearly has run dry. And yet, on this day, we celebrate your life in us, the new life of West Eleanor in the world who's here safe and sound, for the grace that you give our lives that is always amazing and always comes with the sweetest of sound. We give thanks. In your name we pray. Amen.
Now hear this benediction. And now to the one who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than you can ever hope or imagine. To God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever. Amen.